What's going on, guys? And welcome back to another episode of Top Bins Talk, episode eight. And usually I have Tim with me, but for a lot of reasons, he's not going to be able to join us today. So I have a special guest kind of joining me us, uh, joining me today for a, a, a super special Syria episode of Top Bins Talk. And I'd like to welcome uh, a, a guy that I've been on his podcast numerous times so far. And it's for his first attempt at, uh, at our podcast this time. So I'd like to uh, formally welcome Alberto of All UVA Cast to Top Bins Talk. Hey, Alberto. Hey, Marcin. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, it's anytime I can uh, hand over the reins as far as organizing and setting up these podcasts, that I'm all over it, man. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, every single time I, I, I kind of feel bad. It's I, You've had to set up and we've had to do these early morning recording sessions four times on your page. And uh, I feel like it's uh, it's due time that I kind of took the reins and I did the setup for once. Yeah, no, it's it's awesome, man. I love uh, the podcast. Love what you guys are doing, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to this. Cool. Well, usually me and Tim kind of have a, a little back and forth banter. We kind of try to switch it up and have a, a bunch of topics about uh, across all leagues in the world. Um, today, with us being Juventini, being Juve fans, I felt like we're going to do a little bit more of a focused podcast on the Serie A specifically. Um, we, have, we obviously talked. We have a, a couple topics that we're going to kind of dole out today uh from napoli from juve we will get into juve uh and obviously like like in typical top bins talk fashion we always have some fun uh topics uh in regards to kind of debate and talk about um the first thing that we're going to kind of go over and kind of get into today is napoli um now napoli are uh to me they're a very confusing side especially this season um last year you saw they uh, played pretty decently under uh, Carlo Ancelotti. Obviously, Ancelotti got sacked um, mid-season this year after Napoli weren't really in the best run of form. Uh, he got replaced with Gennaro Gattuso. And so far, honestly, the results have been kind of uh, all over the place. I mean, Napoli have been able to beat some of the best sides in Syria, in Lazio, in, in Juve, and in Inter. Um, but they can't beat the <laughs> smaller, weaker teams of of Parma, of uh, Fiorentina, and, and those bottom-level teams. Um, so, what I mean, Albert, I would love to get your take on it. What do you think is the difference, or what do you think, which side of Napoli was the uh, quote-unquote worst one? Do you think that they made the right decision in terms of firing Carlo Ancelotti and bringing Gattuso, or was it just them trying to kind of uh, get rid of Carlo too soon? Yeah, that's, I mean, it's a tough one. I think, you know... You can argue this for a few sides and maybe even, you know, we're getting a close look at it with Juve. But uh, when you have a team that's had a lot of guys that have been together for a while, you know, and it's sometimes hard to break old habits. And I think Carlo was trying to get to that 4-4-2 playing the big man up top. And he almost kind of went away from Mertens there, who'd been a goal machine for them. And yeah, I just think it was maybe a little too much too soon. Uh, whereas I think, you know, Gattuso's style and whatnot kind of kind of just plays to the more, you know, obviously he went back to the 4-3-3, just kind of kept it simple. Um, it's tough. It could be a number of different things, right? I mean, anytime you change anything, it could go either way, right? Um, but, I mean, when you play the big clubs, a little bit easier to get motivated too, right? Um, but, yeah, that uh, that's a tough one, man. But for me, I think... I think Carlo was a little too much, a little too soon as far as uh, the changes. Um, and they just weren't adapting quite well to it. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. What, what, what are your thoughts on it? 
I mean, I, I thought we saw some progress under what Ancelotti really wanted to do last year with Napoli. I mean, they they weren't in this kind of predicament last year. I mean, they, they finished in the top six, which is kind of where you want in, in Europeans and European uh, uh, spots last year. So you kind of saw and kind of anticipated that they would have another full transfer under under, under Ancelotti and kind of make that next step and try to really challenge Juve for the title this year. Um, that really hasn't happened. I mean, you you have a team that's lost nine games already, only won eight, drawn six. Their goals for and goals against are, are pretty much equal. So it shows a team that has can decently get forward and score some goals. They have weapons. They have, like you mentioned, Mertens. They have Milik, who's, who's doing quite well this year. They have Callahan. They haven't seen the offensive talent is there. But I think they're they're defensively, they're just really leaky. And I mean, last year you didn't have those issues when you had Koulibaly and wh- whoever else was playing to the right of them. But I mean, Napoli did a great job bringing in a, a guy that we, I mean, a lot of Serie A fans would say is a, is a great center back in Costas Manolas. And they, the two of them just haven't clicked. And you thought they were going to come up and create this huge new Serie A dominance of center backs in terms of, yeah. of, of a two-man pairing. And it just hasn't happened for them. They, they've conceded 34 goals. It's like I mentioned, it's almost as much as they've scored. And that's just, it's just the inconsistencies of, of Napoli not being able to really uh, put together a string of, of positive performances. And, and to, to that point there, they're struggling against those lower team teams that like, yeah, you're right. I, I, I'm assuming that there is more motivation when you play against Juve, when you play against Inter Milan, when you play those, those, those bigger clubs, but at the end of the day, if you want a challenge for titles, and maybe this is where we've kind of seen Napoli struggle over the last few years, is you need to come up big against those smaller opponents. You need to be able to pick up three points every single week and grind out those results, whether it's whether you're playing 16th place Sampdoria or whether you're playing second place Juve right now. Um, and they just haven't been able to keep it consistent. Uh, in terms of Ancelotti versus Gattuso, I actually looked up the statistics <laughs> comparing the two sides, and... The Mil- the Napoli, sorry, not Milan. Uh, the Napoli now actually scores less goals and concedes about about the same amount of goals that they did under Ancelotti. So I'm mm. still thinking whether it really made sense to make this move. Yeah, maybe you had a little bit of discontent in terms of that whole Ritoro situation and, yeah. and Ancelotti really having his more his players back than than the directors back. Um, but the stats really show you that. Napoli really haven't changed, and they're actually were technically, if you look at the broad statistics of just goals scored and against, they're actually playing better with Ancelotti at the helm of the club instead of Gattuso. Um, yeah. May have to do with the fact that it's kind of tough to bring in a new manager mid-season and kind of expect new results out of that. Yeah, I was going to say. I mean, obviously, uh, the behind-the-scenes stuff was not helping anything, and I mean, Carlo kind of put his foot down there and. It was the writing was on the wall. I think at that point, right. Um, so whether they pulled the trigger too soon or not, I mean, it was kind of still the writing was on the wall. We all knew it was coming. Um, worse under Ancelotti or worse under Gattuso. I, I don't really know. Um, honestly, I mean, the stats there are kind of interesting, to be honest. Um, but. I don't know. Yeah, just it, it, it's strange to see them become, you know, leakier at the back, especially adding Manolas, who's a top Serie A defender, right? And Koulibaly there. I mean, it, it's it's just strange, right? Especially with all these players that were there that were succeeding, right? And I think ultimately that 
regardless of the behind the scenes stuff, ultimately, you know, if you believe you have a club and players that you've seen do very, very well for you, and it's just not happening, it's a hell of a lot easier to change one man than 23, right? Um, and they're just not a club that's set up for a huge revolution like that, right? Like they just, they're just not set up to do something like that. Um, but also that discontent there, I mean, that clearly created issues with players and you've got multiple rumors of guys wanting out now and whatnot. And that's just, it's tough to succeed in that scenario and that going on in the background. Right. So it's just been a mess for them in general. Do, do you think that, that with a, a full transfer window in the summer under Gattuso, that they can maybe challenge next year, or do you think that damage has been done and, and that the players kind of revolting has has caused already kind of like this bad cloud of energy around the club that maybe like these top end stars aren't going to want to come to Napoli anymore. And does this really more or less hurt them in the long run, being able to kind of bring in top tier European stars to, to Naples to, to continue this fight of trying to win a Scudetto? I mean, if, depending on what's going on behind the scenes and what like a hundred percent, what exactly happened. But I mean, it doesn't paint a pretty picture and it doesn't make it really enticing to want to go there, to be honest. And I mean, what are they going to be able to splash, you know, money wise? I mean, they could pull in what maybe one, you know, like make one pretty strong signing and then they'll have to kind of pick some, make some good, prospect signings or whatnot but i mean if if it's true that these guys these key guys for them want out um yeah i mean that's not gonna bode well for them and i don't think they're gonna be able to recoup it with one window and honestly like it might come down to you know just needing a new president just changing it changing the whole culture around that place yeah we we as juventini have uh pretty much grown accustomed to De Laurinaitis's, uh funny remarks and his uh, <laughs> his headlines oh. in the press about about really everything. So we, we've read it all. And uh, yeah, I think that is a, a great point. I think if you start up the top in terms of the leadership at the club and then you kind of have that, this trickle-down effect of, of hey, my, my, my president isn't this, this lunatic who's going to try to take all my money away and try to, <laughs> try to essentially find me my, uh, my salary – um, and then the, these players have a little bit more security and comfort at the club. And that's when you're going to see more um, excellence in terms of the players and the performance on the pitch. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Cool. Well, that kind of wraps up uh, our Napoli talk. I think let's uh, move this podcast along and talk about something that we're both fond of. And that's obviously Juve. Um, we're not going to talk about too much about today's uh, Milan game, um, although I have some seen some pretty funny remarks already on Twitter. Yeah, um, I'll have to save some, I guess, for for uh, my rant. Yeah, for for your uh, rant. Um, all I'm going to say is uh, Calciopoli is back. Um, Juve have paid off the refs again tonight, so that's that was I've seen a lot of that tonight, and I, I just think it's pretty funny. Yeah, I had to throw one out there right away and just say, you know what, that's an easy call all day. Yeah, just, yeah I, I saw your, uh, your your tweet. Yeah, like if you have any kind of discrepancies about either the red card that was given to Hernandez, or uh, even though as as a as a former player myself, I'll admit that that kind of handball is harsh. 
but we literally saw that same call happen to Alexandro a couple weeks ago. Uh, the exact same situation where he was jumping for a ball and deflected off his hand like that was close by him and it got called a penalty. So the positive that I can actually take out of this is that, that the league at least is trying to keep these calls consistent. So if Sandro got called for it a couple weeks ago, I see no reason why Hernandez shouldn't uh, uh, or Calabria shouldn't have had it called for him um, today. So I feel like at least it's getting a little bit more consistent with um, calling of those handballs. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, they've been consistent with that one steady. Um, there's lots of examples of that exact same situation happening. And that's all we can ask for is that it's consistent. And I mean, the second I saw it, it's like, you know, it's you just knew it's getting called. It has to. Um, yeah. yeah, so it's just uh, the same old, same old, man. We we know what it's all about. Rubentis, man. Mm-hmm. That's that's what it's all about. <laughs> Anybody else, uh, you know, no issue. But uh, it is what it is. Yeah. So uh, in terms of uh, that's where we're gonna obviously leave it at that. In terms of the game uh, talk, I know you're gonna you're gonna go on your little rant, and I'm sure I'll I'll, I'll rant a little bit at some point about the game. Um, yeah. But let's talk more about the more uh, pressing issue in terms of Juve, not just today's game specifically, and that's been the inconsistencies in terms of the play for for better or worse, for the last seven months of the season, since essentially the beginning of the year. Um, the play has just really been not consistent. And I, I was very skeptical of, of the hiring of Sari from the beginning. But at the beginning when he did get hired, I was one of the first ones to say that, hey, at least let's give him a shot. Let's give him some time. Let's see how this team progresses over the course of the year. And you know our, our classic motto that Juve peak in March, um, yeah. <laughs> which is pretty funny. <laughs> Um, so I always thought like, Hey, let's, let's see how this team progresses. And like by the end of the, the group stage of the champions league or by January, this team should be at least resembling somewhat of what sorry wants in terms of that slick kind of attacking football. Um, but for better or for worse, it's been January's probably been the worst month that we've seen of Juve's football since the start of the season. And it hasn't really gotten better in February, especially watching Juve, uh, pretty much struggled to have what one shot on target for 80 plus minutes today against Milan against the yeah. average Milan at, at best too. Um, and it just, it just hasn't been great to watch and it's just been very up and down and inconsistent. We've had a couple games, like for example, the original, uh, the first Napoli game where we had like a great 45 minutes and then the second half was just terrible. Uh, there's been 15 to 20 minute spurts of, of great play throughout some of these games and <laughs> some of these games. Um, but it's just been so inconsistent for the for for seven months, and I'm I'm just really wondering. Uh, in years past, Allegri was always great in in making a move in terms of a, a formation change or a tweak in tactics mid season that would enable his team to kind of take that next step and un, like kind of unshackle themselves. And so far, I haven't really seen Sorry do that. I've seen him use the same exact formation that caused them trouble for the past month, and he's and he's sticking with it. And I'm trying to kind of wonder myself, well, where is Juve going to go for the next three months? Because I mean, Champions League is in two weeks. We have Lyon coming up, and they're and they're a, a team that's on fire right now. They're not going to be a pushover. I'll, I'll tell you that. So, where do Juve go with all these inconsistencies for the last eight months of the season? Man, like honestly, it's it's pretty alarming at this point. Um, as a fan, it's just it, it's crazy to think that uh, we've gone backwards. I mean. At, sorry at the start of the season, you know, he joins a club. He says all the right things, you know. Um, we finally feel we're going to get the most, like, you know, maximize our potential based on the players that he's talking about. 
and the guys that we felt, you know, were not being used properly and that we needed to build around. Um, and then at the start, you know, we saw him play it pretty safe and everybody called it Allegri-esque lineups. But honestly, it was pretty, pretty much anticipated by many fans because, you know, we had a tricky starting set of fixtures. So you thought he'd play the guys that were comfortable together. We'd integrate those new guys after. But even in the early, early matches, you could see the flashes of movement off the ball and uh, the vertical stretching, you know, upfield with long passes and whatnot. And there was just little one, two, three pass sequences. And it was like, okay, it was coming in flashes and whatnot, but the tempo was there, you know, it was a much quicker tempo. And then it just all kind of faded. It slowly, gradually faded away. We had a huge lull. I can't remember if it was November or December. I think it was December uh, where we just had this lull. And then, you know, we kind of, January's we're getting some Copetali match, you know, we're picking up. It's like, okay, we should turn around. We should get out of this funk. But it's almost gone back, like, regress like even worse now um and where do we go from here i mean this is this is tough like when you when you look at that and you have a team you know we we talk about the change like in napoli whatnot like did does sorry need to just turn it back dial it down a bit and just keep it simple you know and uh in the approach and everything like that i don't know it's just when i watch this juve i see a team that doesn't even have a share an understanding amongst the players that are out there. Like it's so disjointed. Um, it's, it's tough. Like, I mean, what needs to happen? Where do we go from here is a, a tough question. Cause I think there's multiple answers uh, really. I mean, I want to see the team start going after this young talent. Um, I feel we're just too old in general. Um, sorry himself. I think, uh, you know, you kind of were, um, insinuating, uh, at his stubbornness and you're right. I mean, he, he's stubborn. I, I think he's too stubborn to admit that there's issues. And we've heard lately in some press conference where he's just talking about a little slump or bad period. Um, he even said it in regards to Pjanic, but he's letting things just rot. And I've, talked about that with multiple fans on my podcast and it's just how many times did we have to suffer through Bernardeschi at Trequartista before he had to finally pull the plug you know it's just he's got to be quicker to just realize what isn't happening out there and we're coming to a crunch period now in the season and we're no better off than at the start as far as figuring out what our best formation is what our best 11 is like we're still looking for answers. It's 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 crazy. But I mean, where do we go? I don't know, man. If we end up trophyless, how could you how could you possibly keep up? You couldn't. I mean, if we end up and trophyless, and this is obviously worst case scenario because still t- still tied for tops in the league, still yeah, look like we're going through for Copa and still in the Champions League. If we ended with no trophies, that there's absolutely no way he's keeping his job. There there's no scenario that I would ever foresee that sorry would keep his job if we didn't end up with trophies but also it depends on which trophies if we lose Syria and get bounced out of the champions league and all we win is the coppa italia he also i don't i don't i don't see him 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 staying 
And if this team also yeah. keeps playing like this for the remainder of the season, you have the most important four months of the season's coming up right now. If if he still has this team playing like this at the end of April and at the end of May, and, and even by God, if, if somehow he squeaks out the cha- the the Scudetto and and wins a Copa, I, I still can't see it because you you you'd have a year time of of training of of coaching this team and there's no progression, and that that's the that's the main focus that I kind of wanted to take away with sorry being hired i was like all right there, there's going to be some growing pains i understand that but if if after a year's time this team is still playing as badly as it was at the beginning when sorry was first implementing his tactics then there's absolutely no reason why that, that shows that the players aren't buying into a system system aren't buying into him so why would he at that point be be kept on that there's no point um I think at that point you should just go after and try to get a, a, a top tier manager that's really going to demand change and it's going to demand respect. I know we keep saying Pep, but there's other managers out there. Pochettino is, is another option. Is that the route that the club wants to go? Is is to hire really a, a top end manager, somebody that's going to just come in and really kind of more or less demand respect and be like, listen, this is how we're playing. This is how we're going to go and really buckle down and get their tactics kind of through to the players because it, it shows right now that we're after we're seven months with sorry that the players aren't buying into his tactics and it, and it still shows today yeah i mean uh that's a great point i mean if, if we're this far into the season it's either poor man management where the guys just you know don't respect them it's a respect thing and or they just don't believe in his system whatsoever and it's just not happening and uh, i don't know but the more you watch this club the more you see the frustration with the players like and as soon as you get frustrated and you're on the pitch like it's just gonna get worse you know like when it rains it pours and that's what's happening and very very evident in today's match especially but there is just 11 guys and like maybe aside from two or three of them you could just see how frustrating it is and there's just they're just not having a lot of fun like no, whatsoever you, you can see um, that the play is very like lethargic and and slow to build up like like anybody that oh, really well like it, it's just, it's just not moving forward no and you know you've got guys getting at each other and just arms thrown up in the air like just frustration all over the pitch and it's just a mess and i mean we're at the middle of february and I was kind of saying, uh, you know, I'm I'm against making a coaching change mid-season. But to be honest, like right now, it's hard to believe that he's going to be able to turn it around to where we need to be. Um, I just, I, I, I hate that I'm saying it, but I just, I don't see it happening. Um, do, you, do you think he lasts this until the end of the season? I honestly think he's a couple results from getting yanked out of there, to be honest. Um, I think if, you know, we drop, if we drop, uh, you know, three points or another three points in Syria and, you know, Merda maybe pulls away a bit or even Lazio surpasses, um, I think, you know, the next fixture after that and probably the first leg against Lyon, you know, like it, this is a tricky one, you know. Um, there comes a point where 
what do you do? Do you stop the bleeding? Try to salvage the remainder of the year? Do you just ride it out and say, yeah, it didn't work out and we move forward the next season? I I don't know. Like, it's a tough one, right? I mean, I'd want them to to try and fight through and do the best they can. But at the same time, if there is like absolutely no progress and we're at a point right now where, and, and this is what some of the objections are is that, you know, and you, you touched on it, obviously we're tied for first, you know, with uh, Merida, they've got the advantage uh, that puts them in first, but we're level on points. We're going into the um, knockouts in champions league. We're in the semifinal Copitale. So, you know, it's nice that Sari and, you know, some of his, uh, you know, fans out there are saying that, you know, they're still on track for their objectives. But my God, it's, they're not really instilling a whole lot of faith. And they've got to be playing a little bit better if they want to make that final push. I mean, to be playing like this and, even if you get past Lyon in Champions League, like, I mean, I don't think it's going to matter who you get in that next round if you're playing like this where you're struggling to get an attempt uh, looking at the 80th minute of matches. I mean, that's just not good enough whatsoever. Um, that's not good enough for Serie A, Copa Italia, let alone Champions League. So the fact that we're still in line for ob- objectives does not take away what we're getting on the pitch now. And shockingly, it's becoming regularly. And that's... That's terrible. Um, as far as the club and what they do, I mean, maybe the whole transfer window itself was a bit of a gong show and the whole coaching thing was a bit of a gong show. And even when you look back to this January, they just seem so out of sorts. Disjointed. almost. <laughs> right? Like, you know, we're pushing away our number 10 all of a sudden last summer because we got it. We handcuffed ourselves with all these other guys. And it's just like, for God's sakes, there's so many other moves I could think of than trying to push Paolo Dybala out. Um, you know, and this season he's been on his revenge tour or whatnot. He's been awesome. Um, and again, today, I mean, he's got the right drive and initiative, uh, but there's just, there's just nothing else there. There's no chemistry amongst this club right now and everybody's frustrated but it that goes into our management too it just seems so just aimless right now and you can't figure out what what they're doing like to say this club is complete in january i mean none of us really agreed with it or fell with it and you know you see some decent additions being made by other clubs and some bargains and yeah, I was, gonna, I, was gonna, I was gonna touch on that. Then you, you have go ahead, yeah. You have like Ziyech going for for forty mil to Chelsea. Uh, you have like Holland being bought for forty mil. Which if you, if you know me and if you followed me on Twitter, you know I'm a huge Holland fan. And I was I've been following this kid for a little bit of time now, and I was really ramped up. And when I read a lot of reports that Juve were closing in on signing Holland, I thought that was a perfect signing because you had I'm with you, man. a 32-year-old Higuain, a 35-year-old Ronaldo, no matter how good he is. Yeah. Our, our, our attack is aging, and this was like the perfect... I thought this was the perfect signing. And yeah, yeah. to spend that same amount of money on Kulisevsky, which, give or take, yeah, he may turn into a great player one day, but he's had half a year at Parma of Serie A experience while Holland's been tearing it up in, in the Champions League, scoring against <laughs> Napoli, scoring against Liverpool. 
Um, I thought that was more of the profile of the player that we wanted for the future. Even if you left him on loan at, at, in, in, at his current, at his old club, but for the remainder of the season, it didn't matter, but you had that future, like top tier prospect, that kid that you knew that, Hey, this guy's going to come in and he's going to, he's going to fight for minutes. I I don't know if I feel that way about Kulisevsky. I don't know what, where he's even going to play next year or how many minutes he's going to get, or if he's going to get loaned out again. Um, there, there's just so many question marks around that signing and, and yeah, I mean, just recently, obviously ZH going to Chelsea, I mean, for, for 40 million for that guy who was, who was like, who was, I think he finished in the top 15 for Ballon d'Or this year. I mean, the guy's been for eight years has put up 20 or 20 or more goals and assists combined. So goal contributions in a season for eight years, he's just consistent. He's got a hell of a left foot. Uh, I thought like even like that route, like, like he's already proven he, and he, he's in his prime right now, 26 years old. I feel like that's more of the profile of the player we should be purchasing if we're if we're pushing for for the Champions League. Why do we invest forty mil into a nineteen year old with half a season at Parma under his legs when you can get the same thing for a guy that was in the semifinals of the Champions League last year and who's in the prime of his career? Like I, I just don't understand where the club is going in terms of the values and where where these transfer allocations are going. Because like yes, I get it. He's nineteen he's for the future, but. Like not not for nothing. We we have Ronaldo. He's he's now 35 years old. The guy doesn't have this many years left of top tier football. Um, shouldn't we be building around that and kind of getting players that are in their prime or or about to be in their prime, like that 22 to 26 year old range of player? That's the profile of players we should be going after, not a 19 year old that's going to cost us almost 50 million euro. I mean, I think that was a little bit of a a silly move. Yeah, I think, you know, again, getting back to how they handcuff themselves with some of these extensions and whatnot, and then the Ronaldo thing just kind of cemented how they handcuffed themselves. Um, I think Ronaldo kind of Ronaldo kind of fell on our laps, right? And we had already kind of um, made our bed, so to speak, with these extensions and whatnot, and then we just got caught. And I think some of these... Some of that's affecting these moves, and I think a guy like Kulishevsky is going to get um, a much lower salary in terms of the other guys. Um, Halan, though, I mean, oh, I've argued this numerous times. People are trying to tell me it came down to playing time, and I'm just not buying that because I'm just saying no. he's literally sacrificed, what, half a season? If Juve really wanted that and had the desire, they could have closed that deal. If you're telling me he's going to turn down, like he'd literally be skipping the the stepping stone. Like he's going to Dortmund and that's all it is. That's just a stepping stone to get to the big clubs. We are one of those big clubs. So if we really had the desire to lock that up, you can't tell me playing time for half a season. That's all we're talking about would close that deal, would make it unattainable. I'm not buying that because if Juve wanted to, they could seal it and there's no way, there's absolutely no way we cannot integrate this kid next season immediately into our lineup. There's no way that we can't do that. So I just, I'm just not buying that. We need to be after these kids. Like we, we've like, that's exactly the type of signing we need. And then, even when we date back to, you know, some of these lesser priced guys that we're passing up on that are even in our backyard, you know, the Barellas, the Sansis and stuff that could still be effective when you look at some of the guys in our midfield, right? Um, 
also guys not getting much for wages, but then you see us go after the freebies and give them these massive salaries. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, well, that's backwards business to me. You know, the it's harder to sell. Um, I get it that, you know, they're just factoring in, okay, plus Valenza, when you sell a guy you brought in on free or not, but you're still handcuffing yourself to some degree with these massive salaries. And it's just, you can go a route, get a younger player, pay him less salary. Sure, you'll pay him initially more with the um, transfer value, but those younger guys will hold their value much stronger and you don't know what's going to develop there. But those guys, like one, even one of those two, I would have been happy with and I was shocked that Juve didn't push for. And sometimes it just feels like they want somebody that has some type of experience or history that makes it feel like it's this prestigious signing. And I feel like we're missing out on great value all over the map um, from multiple leagues, not just Syria, but I feel like we're missing out on value signings, just looking for this, you know, name and rep and prestige of a signing. And it's just not, I, I don't know. It's just backwards to me, but they're missing out on guys left, right and center. And right now we know it's because, those extensions and Ronaldo, you know, they just kind of put themselves in a real bind. I don't know if they're going to, and I, I feel like that's why they're not able to attack this win now mode properly. And we're probably going to be facing a decent little rebuild, but the nice thing is there's, there's money coming in. So, you know, yeah. And, and speaking of, of money coming in, let's, let's kind of change gears on Juve for a little bit. And talk about something a little bit more positive, and that's the new uh, alliance deal that Juve has signed. Um, so, so for those that you don't know, uh, Juve signed a new deal with one of the partners of the club, Alliance, until 2030. Uh, that's obviously extending into naming rights, um, into some of the sponsorships. Uh, if you watch the Milan game, now Alliance is now on the pre-match training jersey, so a little bit more sponsorship there. Um, but I think the overall addition is about, about 105 million euro uh, total, um, yeah. spread obviously over the course of those those next nine years. So I mean that's an extra what 11, 12 mil a year, roughly give or take. So I mean it's hey any extra money, any extra sponsorship, any extra bonuses and from sponsors that we can get is always money. I'm hoping that the club puts back into the club. So that's the that's the positive I hope to take away from this is that Juve are like, hey, we have an extra hundred million to spend over this course of time. Let's reinvest it back into the club. Let's put it back and and put a better product on the on the field. So I'm, I'm kind of hoping that that's what happens with this uh, newfound income that that Juve have gotten from this new sponsorship agreement. Yeah, I mean uh, that's what we all hope for. Um, the nice thing is, you know. Um, revenues up a bit but the sponsorships have bumped up uh, jeep bumped up uh, with shirt sponsors um and i mean a big part of it's going to be how deep we get in champions league as well um that's probably going to be based on a few reports pretty critical on i think our final numbers um and where we're gonna sit at the end because i've seen mixed reports and I don't have. I don't know which which one's more valid than the other or whatnot. But there's a couple show us in quite a bit of trouble, and then there's one that says it's not too bad. Um, but uh, both of them did allude to 
the Champions League uh, being critical for uh, our numbers. So, but the sponsorships, that's good to see. I mean, we need that. We were so far behind. If you look some, even when you went to shirt sponsors, it was pretty surprising to see the clubs that were ahead of Juve. Yeah. Like even like Sassuolo, I think um, clubs like that were just, we were so low for shirt sponsorship. It was, uh, it, it was wild to see um, where we were on that list, but we're still trailing uh, a couple of those other giants big time as far as revenue goes. Right. So, yeah, I think the only teams that have larger kit deals right now, I think we were tied with PSG and you had um, Real, Barca, Man United, and City had larger, and Liverpool had larger kit deals. So those are the the five, six teams that are still above us in terms of uh, kit deal revenue. Yeah, but all this money, I mean, yeah, that's great when you see the sponsors uh, kicking it up. Uh, but again, it comes down to what the team does with it, right? Yeah, we're hoping to have a, a better product with all this newfound, <laughs> newfound money at the club. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's enough ranting for about Juventus because I think we could do this for another hour and we and we wouldn't even like miss a beat about it. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> so let's start kind of, with that one. <laughs> yeah, for sure. We could definitely go down a rabbit hole for the, for another hour ranting about Juve. This is not the rant Juve cast today. We're gonna try to yeah try to co- come up through a couple more topics. Um, so a couple more positive. Uh, let's keep up going with our Serie A topics, though. And obviously this year, it's a little bit different. Usually we've had only like one team or, or no teams, obviously, for the most part, kind of challenge Juve over the last few years. Obviously, Napoli being the only one that's really kind of really pushed us over the last few years. Before that, Juve kind of by 12, 15 points kind of were taking titles left and right. Um, obviously, this year you have Lazio and you have Inter. So... It's a it's a different dynamic this year because now we have two teams kind of vying with us for this scudetto, and obviously the big question is which one of these teams is going to be the bigger challenge moving forward for the rest of the year. Man, that's uh, that's a tough one. I, honestly, um, I personally am shocked that uh, Lazio's in it this long, um, and that's what's leading me to believe that they'll probably go right to the bitter end. Uh, they actually play very, very solid uh, football, and they can score goals in bunches. Um, I think they'll be into the wire. Um, and I think Merida will as well, to be honest with you. I mean, they're, we all know about Conte in his first season at clubs. And, um, you know, when we look at uh, that uh, derby, you know, with uh, Milan there, um, that second half was something else. I mean, and then afterwards, you know, just seeing what it meant to them and whatnot, like they're united. Um, they are a team. They bought through Conte's tactics. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's, it's also straightforward. You know, it's just Conte's got this really, really simple, simplistic system and design it's a high work rate but he's a motivator he's a player's coach and it it just it works that that first season is always you know like you've got to be on to to beat them and you got to be ready to go to the very last second of matches and Mm -hmm. honestly i don't if i had to pick one that's going to drop off i mean 
gun to my head, I'd probably say Lazio, but I'm fully prepared for it to be a three-horse race right down to the wire. So it's interesting you'd say you'd think that Lazio will draw off because I actually think the exact opposite. And I have a I have a very simple, very, very, very simple reason why I think that Lazio are going to hang on more is that they have no European or any other kind of cup competitions getting in their way. Every single week for now, for the rest of the season, their only games are Serie A games. So they could put all their focus and any kind of extra days off that they could get to rest their players solely to prepare them for Serie A games. Inter yeah. obviously have still um, some Coppa Italia games to finish, but they also play in the Europa League. And the funny thing about Europa League games is they're played on Thursdays. And obviously Serie A games are played on Saturdays and Sundays for the most part. So you have Inter who are going to be getting one day one day less of rest because they're not only going to have to travel to wherever they're going to be playing for the games, but they're also going to have to play a full 90-minute match and then travel back. And obviously that's that's kind of tiring over the course of a long season, especially towards the end run. And I feel like with Inter, yes, they have a great front uh, kind of starting 11, but I don't think their depth is that great. So if they have anybody kind of go down to suspensions or get, pick up any injuries or just fatigue over the course of traveling for these Europa League games, because let's be honest, they're, they're, they're better than a lot of those earlier teams that they're going to face in the round of 32 and the round of 16. So they should get through those route without any kind of issues. So they're going to be playing further on in, into the Europa League unless they just completely tank it. I think I'm just uh, banking on them tanking and getting knocked out in the next uh, leg of the Copa Italia and just bombing in Europa League. So, yeah. I I still think with Conte, and and I think we kind of know this with his time at with with Juve and with, and with Chelsea, I think he's going to try to go for all the trophies that he can get. He's he's going to want to hold it over anybody's head that, hey, if I didn't win Serie A, at least I won the Europa League or at least I won the Coppa Italia in the Europa League or whatever if, if Inter won up anything. I th- um, yeah, I think, I think with his ego, honestly, I think the biggest thing with that club too is knocking Juve off its perch. I think that's the biggest thing, to be honest, in year one. I mean, he might look at... I, I don't think they're going to purposely bail out of Europa League by any means, but I think their their number one this year is getting that Scudetto, I feel. I think for him, especially like us being, you know, eight-time champs, I think that's huge. And his ego, oh, man. He's just... Through the roof if he did that. Oh, Yeah. Well, with well, with Inter and Lazio kind of competing with us, and us being in that top three, it obviously raises a, a, a good point of the, the rest of the league. Obviously, there's there's six positions in Syria that go on to uh, play in Europe or do um, kind of European qualifications or any of those kind of matches. So, obviously, in the top six right now is Inter and Juve level on points one two. You have uh, Lazio one point behind at fifty three, and then you have uh, Atalanta at four, Roma at five and Verona uh, at six currently. And then you have a host of other clubs between six and 12, which are about five points apart. So there's there's not really, a, there's, there's a lot of uh, teams vying for those last few positions. Um, so obviously, who do you think out of those kind of uh, mid-table teams, currently mid-table teams, do you think any of those teams kind of try to sneak up? Do you think like a Milan or a Napoli kind of get their act together and try to sneak into uh, some kind of European qualification places in that 5-6 slot? Do you think Atalanta and Roma are going to be duking it out for that last Champions League spot? What, what is your opinion on what the 
uh, four, five, six, let's call it that four, five, six positions are going to be uh, at the end of the Serie A season. Yeah, I mean, I think I fully anticipate Atalanta uh, locking up four spot. Um, I know Roma's only three points behind them, but uh, just Atalanta's a lot more convincing, I'd say, um, in their play and their style of play, and they're just they're they're a solid team. Um, I fully anticipate them locking up that four spot. I think Roma will. Uh, get that fifth spot um, automatically into Europa League. And then that sixth spot's kind of a crapshoot, man. Um, can Verona keep it up? I mean, I don't know. They're only holding on to it by one point, and Bologna's there. And then Galleri's actually been a good club this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, Parma's in the mix. Uh, as far as Milan and Napoli, I mean, uh, Zlatan's, uh, you know, maybe sparked quite a few guys there, but is it going to be enough? Uh, I, I don't really know. That last one's tough, man. Um, there's a lot of teams to we're looking at here. And I mean, if I had to just pick one that I think is going to take that six, like, I don't know if Verona can really do it. Um, I'd probably say, honestly, like, I don't think AC Milan or Napoli, just not enough not enough goals there out of Napoli. Um, Leaky at the back. Parma, maybe. I don't know. Gun to my head, man. Gallery, I think. Yeah, I'd kind of agree with you. And we'll, we'll kind of get into why I think Gallery are going to um, <laughs> finish that sixth spot. We'll get into that in a little bit. But yeah, I think if I was going to round up my personal top six, it's going to be, uh, I would hope, obviously, Juve at the top. And then I don't really care who finishes second or third, Inter or Lazio, whoever wants to do that for that spot. Uh, I do agree with you. I think Atalanta will finish fourth just because of the sheer volume of, of amount of goals they could pop in. I mean, they've scored 61 goals in 23 matches so far, um, which is an unbelievable statistic in Syria. I mean, they, they almost score um, like two, almost three goals a game, which is, which is ridiculous on average, um, which we don't really see from teams that really do that too often in today's day. So, I think Atalanta will definitely be, hopefully, uh, obviously, we, we it's a feel-good story. We, some of us, Juventini, really liked watching Atalanta play uh, Champions League ball this year, which was great. And they will obviously continue doing that in the knockouts. Um, so I think Atalanta will finish at four. I think Roma will finish at five with the direct spot. And, uh, I mean, I'd, I'm going to agree with you with Calgary going in at, at that sixth spot. I think they have the uh, veteran leadership with some great talent that's really been having a great year this year and that kind of combination um will kind of really propel them to kind of hopefully wrap up uh and get some european qualifying places this year yeah yeah well well with the with the top six um there's obviously another thing that goes with that and that's the scorers title so obviously the capo community uh, that's a big thing that obviously everybody kind of <laughs> argues about each year uh, obviously uh, most juventini would wanted ronaldo to have won it last year which he didn't and uh, obviously this year with his form over the last two months, he's kind of really snuck up in the uh, standings and really kind of uh, bolstered his, his, his kind of come up with the, uh, the top scorers title. Um, so currently the top five scorers in Serie A are Chiro Immobile, who has 25, Ronaldo at 20, uh, Lukaku at 17, Joao Pedro at Cagliari at 14, and uh, Joseph Bilicic at 14 also. So do you think that Immobile is just going to continue on the scoring run and just kind of uh, run away with the scorer's title? 
Or do you think that Lukaku or, or potentially Ronaldo keeping up this form uh, have a chance to catch him this season? I mean, Ronaldo's not far off. He's got five goals. There's there's a chance, but I just we just don't play. We don't play well enough, and we don't get enough goals for me to say that confidently that I think he's going to actually take the title. Whereas uh, you know Lazio plays very very good ball and they they score in bunches too right um and Lukaku I mean honestly like if he had better touch and finishing he'd be leading um right now um Immobile's got a bunch off the spot too um when we look at his goal tally yeah I think it's Uh, nine or, or ten yeah, so he's got a bunch off the spot. So that's kind of another thing for him that he's got the leg up on uh, Lukaku for sure. Because uh, I don't think maybe Lukaku's taken one or two for them, but I don't think he's their their uh, the regular penalty taker now. I don't think so. So yeah, I mean, uh, I would have to say uh, I anticipate uh, Immobile uh, taking it. I mean, you look at uh, we talked about Atlanta. They bagged 61 goals uh, so far in 23 games. Lazio's bagged 53. Um, so they're scoring a ton of goals too. So I, w- I would have to go with Chiro uh, taking it this season. Yeah, I'm going to kind of agree with you on that one. I'm going to stick with uh, Chiro. At the beginning of the, uh, of the series of, of Top Ends Talk, and I think in our first episode, um, we did a little segment where I called out that Duvan Zapata was going to win uh, the score title. And I think Immobile was going to finish second. So that was my original prediction. And to be fair, Zapata has nine goals in 12 games since he's returned from injury, but he's missed too much time, so there's no chance in hell that prediction's coming true. But I did yeah. call Immobile finishing second, so now since Zapata missed some time, my prediction automatically pushes up a little bit, so I called Immobile winning the scorer's title, so I'm going to take credit. <laughs> for that. I think yeah. that's how it works. I think if a player misses time and is injured in your prediction, I think the next one that you predicted just goes up a ranking. So I'm going to asterisk, uh, buddy. Asterisk. Yeah, yeah I'm, you're good. I'm going to take it. So I'm going to take that. Uh, I'm going to take that call um, yeah. that I called the mobile winning the scorer's title. So you're welcome, all of you guys that listened to the first episode and placed your bets. <laughs> so whatever your earnings are, I take half of them at the end of the year. Uh, you can nice. you can PayPal me. <laughs> nice. Um, so yeah, I'm going to hundred percent agree with you, uh, in terms of Immobile. just, yeah, Lazio play a very expansive and attacking football. That's, that's more closer to Atalanta style than anybody else in the league. So, um, I'm definitely sticking with, uh, Immobile. Um, Here's a question, uh, Marcin, does he, <laughs> does he break Higuain's record? Higuain's record was what at 36? Yeah. I, honestly, I think he will, or he'll he'll either break it by a goal or he'll tie it. That's that's what I'm calling, just because yeah, there's yeah. what 15 rounds left, and yeah. like, like you mentioned, Immobile does take pens for Lazio, and I think yeah. that's a big um, kind of advantage for him. And I, I, just like like I said, with Lazio playing that attacking football, I think they will have the opportunities. Obviously, barring any injuries or anything like that, which I don't know who I quite called third, but whoever I called third would just obviously move up. In my uh, in my original rankings, um, but yeah, I, I yeah. think I think he will either break it by a goal, so hitting thirty seven, or I think he'll he'll tie Higuain's record at thirty six. That's that's yeah. my my prediction right now. I agree. I, th- I think he's gonna break it. Yeah, yeah. Just just with Lazio handing him the ball any single time there's a spot kick, you him having already ten at, at this point of the season, or nine yeah. or whatever the number of pens is. 
I, I think he'll definitely um, at this at this rate he'll 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 break the record. Yeah, and they just beat up. They just beat up on those you know lower sides and score a ton against those teams. And he's he's out there for all of them. Like he's yeah. I, I just I'd be shocked if he didn't at least tie it. I'd be shocked. Yeah, he's definitely in a in a very rich reign of form. That like you said, you'd be kind of surprised if he didn't um, finish near that record or at least like within a, a goal shy if he fell out of form for whatever reason or got injured. Yeah. Well, well, speaking of Immobile and his obviously his awesome form this year, um, before the podcast started, I asked you to do a, a quick little, just three players that have really kind of uh, surprised you in terms of how well they're playing in the league this year. Um, so I'm going to obviously let you kick it off since you're the guest on the podcast. So your three players that have really surprised you with how well they, they have played in Serie A this year. Um, so honestly, uh I made a lot of jokes about him, but uh, Lukaku's kind of surprised me. And even talking about him in the race, but, uh, you know, his touch and some of his finishing, you know, if it was a bit better, he would easily, easily be um, smashing Immobile at the top there. I, I feel he gets so much. He's so strong when I didn't think he'd have as big an impact he's kind of caught me off guard there um but we actually share um another player and it's obviously off gallery there uh Jao mm-hmm. pedro yep um being at 14 goals uh the club playing very very well uh, we talked about it pro- our pick for that uh europa qualifying uh, spot um and there's another guy too um, that kind of faded. He kind of had a lot of hype around him, but Berardi's actually um, surprised me this season. And from our own club uh, that we support, Juve, I'd have to say Bentancourt um, surprised me. Um, and you know, many peg him that uh, he should be in our uh, you know so-called regista spot. But uh, I've been pleasantly surprised. Uh, with his play this season and I think he's up there like at six or seven assists to uh this season or whatnot which is kind of under the radar or whatnot but he's he's been great uh but those are kind of my guys cool um just to piggyback off on Benton Court he does have he is uh registered with six assists and that's that ties him for fifth in the league um with six assists so the top top um guys in terms of assists are Luis Alberto uh, Papu Gomez, uh, Lorenzo Pellegrini, uh, Kulisevsky, uh, and then there's a tie between Immobile, Callejon, and Bentancourt at five, with six, all of them with six assists. So um, to piggyback off what you're saying, yeah, Bentancourt's definitely had a, a great year, um, and I would definitely love to see him in that Regista role. Um, in terms of my three players that have really kind of threw me off, uh, yes, we did share one on the list before when we talked before we aired, uh, and that is Joao Pedro. Um, 14 goals in, in 20 plus uh, in 20 games this year. He's definitely been one of the driving forces that has really pushed Calgary up the table, and in them having uh, be in contention right now for a, a Europa League spot. Uh, obviously, him and, and Nainggolan have done a lot of great work at that club right now. Uh, so Joao Pedro is definitely on my list. Uh, another guy that's definitely been is going to be on my list is Luis Muriel, um, kind of an under the radar signing by Atalanta. Um, but with Duvan Zapata going down for such an extended amount of time earlier in the season and missing, I think two and a half months, three months of, of the season, um, he missed a ton of games. Regardless, I think he missed like nine or ten matches. 
Um, Zapata obviously was the big <laughs> target guy and the big goal scorer from their team last year. And Luis Muriel was kind of just picked up under the radar and he's contributed with 12 goals and 20 appearances. And right now he's, he's uh, sixth in the league in scoring. So I think Luis Muriel was a definitely under the radar kind of pickup. And I think he's done wonders kind of uh, rejuvenating his career um, coming back from, I believe he played in the La Liga with Sevilla um, last I remember. Um, so that's that's those are my two picks for outside of Juve, and I am going to pick actually a guy that would be a little bit de- uh, divisive if you call it, but I think Bonucci's played a, a fantastic role this year uh, in at Juve. I think his defense has been has been pretty rock solid for the most part. I think he's made maybe one or two errors that I've been like, all right, that's he should have done better there. Uh, but I think he's done a great job taking over the captain's armband from Killing after he he uh, ruptured his ACL um, and really taking over that captain's mantle. And I think his defending has just been uh, been pretty rock solid. I think he's been a, a, a great defender for Juve. His, his long balls and his passing forward is still top-notch. Um, there's no issues there. So I think uh, Bonucci is definitely kind of uh, – I think he, a lot of Juve fans would say they've been really been surprised by how not only how well he's played, but how well he's also taken that captain's role um, over after Chiellini. So I think Bonucci sneaks into my, uh, <laughs> my top players. Uh... That surprised me. That's a good shout. Um, I actually told uh, a fan, uh, Luca, on my podcast that uh, he should be okay to put his Bonucci jersey back into the rotation uh, after sure. what he's done this season. So that's a, that's a good shout. Yeah, for sure. I think he's uh, he's come back into the graces of a lot of Juventini. I, I still don't now. I don't understand those guys that are still like anti-Bonucci. I mean, yes, you can you can say all you want about the guy, but I think he's definitely made up and then some this year, especially with his play. Um, and his leadership on the pitch this year, so definitely Benucci has been a uh, has a has a has a check mark back in my book, especially after this year. Yeah, I think we'd be probably throwing Demerol on the list of uh, surprises. I would, anyways, if he didn't get injured, whatnot. Yeah. You could still argue that guy was shot out of a cannon when he hit our lineup, um, and there was no looking back. Uh, it was it was pretty impressive. Yeah, he definitely played really well when he had that chance. It was uh, very unfortunate that he kind of uh, won't be playing for the rest of the year. But uh, obviously, we have uh, a little bit of cover coming back in, in Giorgio Chiellini. So I, I hopefully that, that'll be enough to see us out for the rest of the year. And we'll see yeah. uh, Demerol back next year fully fit. Yeah. Agreed. Cool. Well, that's going to wrap up our Syria segment uh, of the podcast. We do have a couple little topics that... Uh, we wanted to talk about from other leagues, um, and mainly it's just two or three topics, just some quick hits. Uh, the first thing that we kind of wanted to mention was uh, something that happened in the Bundesliga this past week, and that's uh, Jurgen Klinsmann, who was the manager of Hertha Berlin. Uh, Hertha Berlin excuse me. Uh, he was only at the club there for about 76 days, and the reason why he left was apparently because of a power struggle with management, which is something we kind of touched on earlier. So this kind of brings us back to the question, should managers get more say on on players and the staff that they chose? Uh, apparently, the issue with Klinsman was uh, there was an issue with a goalkeeper's coach that he fired that he didn't want there at the club. And uh, there were some signings. Uh, Hertha Berlin signed uh, four players in the January transfer. And spent a lot of money, I think around 90 million euros on four different players. Uh, Christoph Piontek from Milan was actually one of them. So there were four players brought in during that window, and apparently Klinsmann wasn't too fond of one or two of, of those signings. 
Um, so, I mean, it, it's a very short stint for a manager to have at a club. So, this, like I said, this brings me back to my original question is, do you think that it should be up to more of the managers who will have the final say on players and on coaching staff? Or do you think the directors and the board um, should have more or less the final say? Do you think it should be the club's, the club's focus or the more the manager's focus? I just feel if a club's going to bring in a manager, I mean, it just makes sense that they share the same philosophy and ideas, I guess. And I mean, this should all just be um, discussed prior and, you know, what's he think of the current roster? What are his plans? What does he see? You know, uh, what does he, what does he think it's going to take to get, you know, a roster that he's happy with? And, it, it needs to kind of coincide. I mean, when at the hiring process, right? Um, it's it's got to be number one a culture fit. So if he's got issues with staff or whatnot, wants to bring his own guys, same thing. I mean, this should be kind of aired out at the at the beginning. Would you think? Or I don't know if there was maybe personal issues after he had started and then just decided he doesn't want these guys around. I, I'm not sure, but. I mean, a coach should ultimately um, have say in the players he wants uh, because, yeah, I mean, it's essentially his tactics, his formation, his style. He knows what he's trying to accomplish on the pitch. But um, to be at a club for 10 days and hear about a power struggle kind of seems odd to me um, because, again, I just I feel why are you hiring someone if the vision, you know, like that vision should be discussed prior? Like, I don't know. It's just, it's strange to me. Right. Uh, but what do you think? Uh, I mean, yeah, I'm going to agree with you that the manager should have the final say. And I mean, there was a lot of reports kind of stemming back to when Max Allegri left Juve that he really wanted to revamp a lot of sections of the team. And he kind of wanted to overhaul uh, a lot of like a, a decent amount of the squad to kind of because he saw they were stagnating and he wanted to get fresh faces fresh in and get new competition in, which I mean that's 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 exactly what you want from a manager. You want him to notice, hey, be like these players are, are stagnating, they're not playing up to the level they should be, and this is who I want in. This is what I want in. And obviously, Juve said that they didn't want to, they didn't agree with that idea, and then that's kind of where the the breakaway of Max Allegri happened last year. Um, but I, I think that's this kind of the same thing that you should be happening with with Klinsman at at Hertha. I mean, like. Like Florentino Perez is is notorious for signing Galacticos and not really talking really too much to his managers. He kind of wants to sign the biggest and best star and to kind of sell jerseys and be the hype of Real Madrid. And I think, yeah, that works in certain cases. It works in Real Madrid case because they have endless amounts of money and they can kind of, they make a mistake. Yeah, yeah they could just kind of gloss over it. But when you're a club like Hertha Berlin, that's that's trying to kind of fight for those Europa League spots and trying to make, an, like, make a name for yourself, and you spend a, a good amount of money. You spent close to 100 million euro in the January window, which is usually not a, like that's pretty unheard of. The most clubs don't really spend that amount of money, especially on multiple signings in a January window. It's it's rare to see. Um, yeah. So I feel like you should have really have more of your your managers back because ultimately your manager is what's going to drive your results. His tactics, his his play, his formation, his his on the on the field performance also is going to kind of dictate how your club does so you want to give him your 100 percent support and if he says hey this guy doesn't this player doesn't work for my tactics well how's that benefiting you because 
from the get-go, you're already off on a bad note. You're thinking, hey, this guy doesn't doesn't improve my team. I don't think he's good enough, so why am I going to send him out to, on the pitch? And then you've just wasted X amount of money on, the, on this player that's not even going to work for your system. So I, I definitely think that managers should have more say and or, or less the final say on uh, um, players and staff. I mean, I remember... Uh, kind of stemming back to Juve always, but I remember Allegri always said that he, uh, he he gave his kind of like input on transfers, but that the final decision was always up to the board and up to the like the the sporting directors uh, of, of Juve. And I'm like, well, I, I feel like as a manager, you should have a little bit more like, hey, I want these guys. Like, yeah, you can, you can give me your input, but these are the guys I want to help me get, make my side better. And I feel like that's the way it should be run. Yeah, I mean... I agree. I'm just trying to think, you know, like, and play devil's advocate, but I, I mean, it would come down to contracts. There's always the financial part of it that's going to play into it. And maybe it's not all about, uh, you know, if a coach can say like, yeah, I want this guy, I want that guy, but financially it's got to fit too. Right. So, and that's probably what he meant. I'm assuming by it's going to come down to them. Um, and just factoring in, like you were saying, you know, Real Madrid's a different club. If a guy walked in there and said, I want him, him, and him. But we know Florentino just, he's all about the flash, right? Yep. Um, and that's how they run it. But Juve's not that club, right? We're, it's not that we're frugal or whatnot, but we've got to be conscious of our finances, right? So, yeah. yeah our, just, our finances are getting better, but they're still not up to the level of, of Real Madrid and Barca. No, yeah, definitely not at that level. But uh, yeah, it's it's getting better for cool. sure. Yeah, well, well, speaking of, of transfers in, in the Bundesliga, obviously there's a couple big name players that have recently obviously are uh, have either been rumored or, or very heavily rumored with EPL moves. Uh, obviously Ziyech uh, going to Chelsea is one of them, but obviously he's from the Eredivisie. Uh, in terms of a couple Bundesliga players that have been Rumored is uh, Timo Werner, who plays for Le- uh, Leipzig right now. Uh, rumored to go to Liverpool, and then uh, Jaden Sancho, who is uh, very heavily re- linked with uh, Manchester City and Manchester United. Now we've seen the, the, the and these links have been going on for for quite a while. So I'm, I'm I'm wondering if there's more to it than just links. But do you think ultimately that these three players, let's let's include Ziyech, just because it obviously happened recently. Do you think that? These three moves, let's say, let's say Ziyech, obviously Ziyech goes to Chelsea, uh, Werner goes to Liverpool, and then Sancho goes to one of the Uniteds. Do these moves make sense for these guys at, the, at, their, at these stages of their careers to move to the EPL right now? Man, Timo Werner, I heard, is a 60 mil release clause. Yep. Why well, is why you well, <laughs> Like, man, it, it just blows me away. Like, I, I really like that guy um yeah. uh, and it's funny in fifa i pick him up all the time like right away even on, on he, pez he, there is, he, he is in my ultimate team squad right now too so yes oh yes. dude and i just crush with him so uh, yeah no bias or whatnot but like when i see that and it's 60 mil release clause and it's like young forward you know it's just like that's what we need we're so they're just so old up top other than you know like dibala but cost is never and cost is never healthy like this is the guy we should go on but like is it the right move at that stage of career so Werner at liverpool um 
I don't know, man. I don't think, uh, I think that front three is kind of locked in there. He's going to get the odd playing time. I don't think that makes sense for him personally. Um, when I talk about Werner, I would say no for Liverpool. Um, Zayic at Chelsea, I think he's going to slot in like almost immediately if I look at that club. Um, so leaving Ajax to go to Chelsea. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the thing I heard about him was he wanted the EPL. Right, like um, I don't know if necessarily all of them are just about the EPL, but I heard specifically Zayic wanted the the Premier League. Um, Sancho actually, I heard the same, and I actually heard Sancho was linked more to Liverpool, which doesn't make sense to me. Um, but you're saying Man United? Yeah, it's been. I've been reading a lot of Man United, Man City links. Man, which I would definitely stay away from Man United if I were him. That does not <laughs> make sense. Um, Man City, I could see if Pep's leaving. I don't know if he would. I mean, still a pretty talented squad. It's not like all those players are going to disappear if Pep's not there. But I mean, it's always a little like who's going to be the manager, you know? Right. So it's kind of some question marks there. Uh, but I don't know. As far as making sense, Werner to Liverpool, I'd say no for him. Um, he should be going somewhere where he's a crucial uh, player, I feel. I feel he's ready for that now. Um, Zayic with Chelsea, I mean, he would he would probably end up being one of their main guys. I mean, Pulisic hasn't really panned out. Um, he's done okay. Um, Jorginho's going to probably leave this season um and they're gonna need a creative force and Zayic is one um different role or whatnot but still you talked about how much he's contributed as far as goals and assists um yeah uh the Zayic one I could see the other two not so much uh but yeah for me the other two don't really make sense yeah so I'm gonna I'm gonna pretty much agree with you 100% on those um Werner to eat to, to Liverpool really doesn't really make too much sense just because I mean who is he going to take playing time away from um I mean I think Mana and Salah are pretty locked in if, yeah. if you take away any any playing time it's Firmino but is he better than Firmino are that's arguable I mean you can argue one way or the other I think Firmino right now is a little bit of a better player he's he's better at distrib- uh, distributing the ball and better not only at scoring but kind of picking up the ball kind of dropping back and playing that more creative role which i think that's what liverpool needs because salah and mane kind of bomb up and down those lines to try to cut in um so somebody has to kind of drop back and kind of facilitate the play which i think Firmino is really good at um yeah Zayic at at chelsea i think he's just going to slot in like week one i'm expecting him to start and i think he's just gonna i think personally i think he's going to tear it up um there's no kind of uh hesitations on my end that make me think that this guy is not going to perform well he's he's been consistent and injury injury free which is a huge plus nowadays in in the sport um for eight years now in in playing in in the air division so i think this is going to be a good step up and and challenge for him at at 26 which is when he should be kind of peaking right now um and then who's the last one sancho so sancho is an interesting one because if he goes to city I don't think that makes any sense at all because I think that team is is stocked for wingers. You have Sterling and Mares, and I think those guys are, are aren't going to be moved out of that lineup anytime soon, especially if Pep stays, which is a huge question yeah. mark point. Um, but to Manu would be an interesting move just because I think that 
he would want to kind of like build up Manchester United. I think there's a pedigree still. Like Man United is still a huge name. As much as their club and and how they're performing on the pitch is, is not up to par, I think they yeah. still hold a huge name. And I think he would be like, hey, I get to play for Man United and, and I'm, I'm going to be the face of that franchise and I'm going to be the guy that kind of brings them back into the Champions League and kind of onto, onto a winning track. I think there's a, a bit of a... Um, a, a bit of a, like a like a, a how to how to phrase it like I, I think a guy would want to do that just to just to be like hey I'm the guy that did that um, kind of for his own kind of ego if that makes sense so potential yeah, I could see going there yeah and I and, and I know get that. and you know they're gonna unload the the financial truck on him if that happens yeah uh, just it, it's it's trying to gauge what you think a player is going to be after and if it's winning or whatnot, or if it's, you know, a guy wants to try and turn something around, but that project right now is not appealing. Like really, I mean, it's kind of a mess, especially when you got guys that want out and then, you know, you're trying to get in there, but yeah, I get it. Being the face, they still, they still are that big name club, you know, regardless of where they are in standings or anything like that. Um, and there's history there. Um, yeah, so I get it. But. Cool. Well, the last thing that we're going to kind of talk about, and we'll just kind of briefly hint about it before we kind of wrap things up. Um, this this kind of happened a couple weeks ago, um, but the Chinese league was obviously very notorious for bringing in a ton of different players at very high salaries to kind of come in and be the the headlining players for each of their uh, franchises um, in the league. So the Chinese league has now imposed a new rule within the league that really severely kind of uh, essentially sets a salary cap for each club and that no no team can essentially earn more than, I think it's like 50,000 50, uh, euros a, a week, which is uh, obviously significantly less than what some of these top tier stars like Oscar, who's making, I think, three to 400K a week. Uh, are making so the the big question is Nick, now that all these kind of deals are not going to be allowed is obviously this is going to really hurt the Chinese league in terms of being a popular place for some of these European stars to go like Oscar like Hulk for example that went there uh, I believe uh, Carlos Tevez went there also after he left Juve um, so wh- I mean what happens with all these stars obviously this is so so how this works just to clarify also is if you already have the contract signed you're still going to be making that wage until you sign a new contract. So your next contract, for example, Oscar right now making 300K or whatever he makes a week, if he signs a new contract, that would be capped to 50K a week. So he's still going to be earning, obviously, the money that he signed on his contract. But the bigger question is, what happens to all these players that went to China in the first place? So does Oscar, does Hulk, all these guys that went to China, are, are, are they going to be now available and willing to come back to Europe to kind of play more let's say top tier football uh during the summer what do you think is going to happen with those guys um i think well we'll have to wait and see because there's gonna be some loopholes there um i was looking into it a bit and i think they're it's not gonna factor like signing bonuses and they talked uh, and they talked a bit about um using uh like almost forming alliances with other clubs to like get these backdoor funds. Like there, it was, it was pretty wild. And I was just like, wow, you know, like a club must really want these guys around to kind of go this Avenue. Um, 
but I could see some of those guys coming back into Europe. Um, I think there will be some rare instances and big, big draws that clubs would find these backdoor ways to, you know, whether it's signing bonuses or whatever to get them topped up. But I think it would have to be like huge, huge draws, probably towards the end of their career that just like, you know, big names, big, big names uh, coming down for the end of their career. That'll just draw in um, the ticket sales and merchandise and all that. Right. Um, I don't think you're going to get so much of, uh, you know, talented players, you know, that went there that weren't superstars that were going there even towards the end, you know. Um, I think that's what we'll start seeing now with this cap uh, that they pulled in. That's just, that's just my uh, theory anyways, but what do you think is going to end up happening? I mean, yeah, one of the loopholes to kind of stem back to that was that you would, you would be signed by another club and then essentially loaned out to one of the Chinese super yeah. clubs. Which, which I thought was pretty funny. It's kind of essentially like like Inter kind of owned by a, a club in, in China. And essentially, like let's say like Inter would, were to send um, one of their players out to China on loan. Like that's kind of like w- essentially what is happening with there. So I, I thought that was a pretty funny loophole. Um, but I mean, you have some, if you look at some of the players that, are, that have played in the Chinese league, you have guys like Oscar and Hulk. I think those would be like kind of like the two big headline, um, kind of like top tier names that I could see coming back to Europe. In terms of like, the other guys, they're not really like top tier talent, if you want to call that. You have guys that have been decent in spurts. You have Ramirez, but he's already like aged a little bit. You have Osimo Aguian. Um, you have like Graziano Pele, who, who makes a staggering amount of money, even though he really, <laughs> that guy uh, had like what, like one decent euro. And then all of a sudden he goes to China, makes 300K a year uh, a week. It's, yeah. it's ridiculous. Um, just looking at the other, like some other like top tier paid names is like Jackson Martinez, Alex Teixeira, Burak Yalmaz. Um, so it's not really like top, top tier talent. I think Oscar and Hulk are the two head, two big headliners. I think those yeah. two guys, I think will make a move back to Europe this, uh, this summer, just because they're still, I think good enough that they could play for a top tier club. Uh, outside of that, I don't really think any of those other guys are going to be too, really eager to move back just because they're mostly in their early 30s and this is kind of like their the last hurrah payday before they kind of are on the slope of retirement um but yeah. oscar and hulk i think are still good enough and i think they've shown in, in terms of their play um that they'll still be good in europe i mean axel witzel came back so i'm I, I don't see any reason why i don't think oscar and hulk will come back over the summer yeah yeah I agree. Cool. Well, before we wrap up, I just wanted to kind of uh, uh, welcome all the new listeners to the podcast uh, and just give a quick shout out to the sponsor of the podcast, which is uh, deadball.uk. Uh, uh, they produce uh, cool retro fitted kind of uh, styled uh, graphic shirts for, for famous football moments. You have some uh, some very famous like Serie A moments like Baggio, like Maldini, like uh, Batistuta. Um, so there's a lot of cool stuff. The guy who, uh, who actually started the company, Mark, uh, he's actually grew up watching Italian and Serie A football. The company's actually based out of Liverpool, so they have some cool EPL stuff. A um, bunch of cool retro iconic designs. They have a, a couple neat things. They have some mugs. They have coasters, which you can get with some players imprinted on it and some shirts. So they, they do a, a whole bunch of cool stuff, uh, EPL uh, designs and merch. Uh, a really cool thing that I always like to tell about their site is they actually have a, a custom uh, shirt section. So you can actually um, recommend or request a one-off shirt and they'll see if they can make it for you, which is really cool. So if you wanted, like, let's say 
uh, Nedved shirt you can kind of submit and see if they'll make you a Nedved shirt with a certain photo that you send in or like an Andrea Pirlo or like a Gigi Buffon. So, I mean, they do a lot of cool stuff. So go check them out uh, at deadball.co.uk. Um, so just, just let us know if you have any questions with that. But obviously wrapping up the podcast, I want to give a big thank you to Alberto for joining me. Obviously, this is a little bit late for both of us. So I appreciate um, you kind of taking the time out of your uh, evening after a long day of work and kind of spending some time with me here tonight. Oh, appreciate you having me on, man. I love what you're doing. I'm a fan of the podcast. And uh, yeah, keep it up, man. And thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. So obviously, if you don't follow, uh, if you don't know about Alberto, Alberto at UVACast. Uh, go check out his podcast if you want to go follow me on Twitter. Uh, if you don't already, it's at PLUVentino. Uh, obviously, till the next episode, I'll keep you guys posted. If you guys have any other uh, topics or segments you guys want to hear in future episodes, please feel free uh, to reach out to me on Twitter. Um, I'm, I'm always willing to give a, have a chat with you guys. Until the next episode, thank you guys. I'm out. Later.